Today's scripture reading is from the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 1, to chapter 12, verse 3. If you are able, please stand for the reading of God's word. Hebrews 11. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he's dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would rather later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful, who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he was as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All of these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were, not, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice one of his, own, his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead, and so, in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God 
rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt, because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. And by faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. And by faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us could they be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. This is the word of the Lord. Hey everyone, how's it going? Good afternoon. Just making sure we're all listening here. I heard a couple good mornings. Peter's laughing, he caught them. Good job. It's good to be connecting with all of you and uh, to be seeing so many of you in person. Uh, will you join me in prayer? God, we're grateful for today. We pray that you will bless this time, that we would encounter you, Jesus and that we would be drawn closer to you. We pray all these things in Christ's strong name. Amen. Thanks, Allison, for reading that. That's quite the... We gave you a lot to read. Uh, <laughs> let me fix my iPad here. Let's see. Truth be told, uh, all of the spacing in my iPad got messed up right before I came up here, so we're going to see if this is all okay. Uh, Jenna and I... And my friend Nathan, we went camping this past uh, BC long weekend, and we went to uh, Qualcomm First Nation campground on Vancouver Island, uh, and it was hot. 
as I'm sure you all felt and know. Uh, so we were looking uh, just for some places to swim and just some places to cool off. And we went to this place called Spider Lake. And there were some paddle boards there. So we were like, let's rent some paddle boards. And so we walk up uh, to this little table. And there's these two guys. And I'm just going to call them two bros. Absolutely look like the quintessential paddle board guys. I'm talking long hair, tanned, toned. Uh, so we start chatting. And uh, one of the guys says to me, he's like, well, where are you from? Vancouver. We're just up here for the long weekend. And I guess my accent betrayed me. And he goes, no, like, where are you really from? It's like, oh, well, you know, I uh, came up from the States. And then he goes, okay, well, what'd you come to Vancouver for? And I'm beginning to dread where this conversation is going. So I said, oh, I, I just came up here to study just to get my master's. He goes, cool, in what? <laughs> this isn't going well theology. And then he goes, oh, what's theology? <laughs> it's hot. I want to get in the water. I just wanted a paddleboard, right? I, I'm just here to paddleboard, my man. Uh, so I gave a, a pretty poor response, I think. And looking back, I think it was poor, maybe humorous. Um, he kind of looks at me kind of quizzically at the end. He's like, okay, cool. I went on my way. <laughs> But that night, I was talking with Jenna and Nathan, and I was like, why is that so hard? Why are those conversations so difficult? Why is it hard to find courage to say that I am a Christian, that I belong to a church community, to say that I have faith? And for me, this is the question that I've been sitting with this week, especially as we are in this series on the good news. And now my question for today is specifically, why am I a Christian? Or as my buddy Andrew Finn corrected me on, why did I become a Christian? And it's a big question, and it's one that I invite you to reflect on as we go from here today. And I want to invite you to consider how you might answer it if somebody asked you that, even online. I wonder how you would respond if somebody asked you that question. And so I'm just going to share a bit about how my story resonates uh, with the passage that we read, and I hope that it encourages and blesses you. The image of a great cloud of witnesses in chapters 11 and 12 is one that I love. This cloud or group of witnesses refers not only to those named in chapter 11, but to all those mentioned in scripture and to all who have given witness to Christ since biblical times. The stories of witnesses in scripture point us to God and his working in their lives. I'm thinking of women like Rahab, a prostitute, whose faith led her to do courageous things. Thinking of Ruth, who left her home to honor her mother-in-law because God called her. Men like Gideon, who, who doubted but trusted. Moses, a redeemed murderer. As F.F. Bruce shares, these men and women had nothing but the promises of God to rest upon. No visible evidence that these promises would ever be fulfilled. Yet so much did these promises mean that they regulated the whole course of their lives. Let me simplify that. These witnesses let the promises of God dictate how they were going to live. They were confident in what they hoped for and sure about what they did not see. And so these witnesses have shown us the possibilities of the life of faith. 
through their loyalty and endurance to God. And in listening and reading these stories of witnesses in Scripture, I'm struck by the fact that these persons aren't particularly good people or overwhelmingly talented people. Instead, they're people who God used in spite of their flaws and wrongdoings for his purposes. Let me say that again. Instead, they're people who God used in spite of their flaws and wrongdoings for his purposes. In Scripture, we see that God uses the weak things of this world to fool the strong. We see that he breaks down the proud and builds up the humble. We see that God uses the most unexpected people in the most desperate circumstances to fulfill his purposes. So I resonate with the truth that the creator God changes, transforms, and redeems messed up sinful people like me and you to be a witness for him. The great cloud of witnesses as outlined in Hebrews is made up of all who have borne witness to the faithfulness of God through their successes and mistakes. And so one of the reasons that I became a Christian and have faith in Jesus is because of the witnesses that I have read about in Scripture and because of key people in my life who have been and are a witness to me of the good news of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul expressed a similar joy when he wrote to Timothy and he said, I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. See, the faith of Timothy passed on through his mother and grandmother was a source of encouragement to Paul. And similarly, I am so thankful for my parents, grandparents, uncles, aunts, sisters, and friends who are Christians, because their witness has been critical, absolutely critical in my own faith journey. I'm reminded of a time uh, four years ago, Jenna and I went to South Africa. It's when we got engaged. And anyway, we went to Cape Town, absolutely beautiful place. Highly recommend that you go there if you ever get the chance after these restrictions go away. Anyway, uh, while we were there, my mom and aunts asked for a time of prayer. And so we, we sat down to pray, and we shared some of our stories. Uh, but one of the things that struck me from that night, and that I'll never forget, is that these three women, my mom and two aunts, who had all been widowed within the first five to ten years of their marriages, all shared about the faithfulness of God and how Jesus met them in hard places. I'll never forget it. These women had dealt with grief and suffering beyond what most of us can imagine or ever go through, and they proclaimed the good news of God. And there was peace there. I'm thankful for the witnesses to God. I'm also blown away by friends and missionaries who continually look to serve others and often do so through many, many years with only seeing minimal changes. I've seen people in situations like this in our church. Just earlier today, I was with some volunteers from the children's ministry, and they're talking about serving in children's ministry for years and years. Amazing. And in these cases, I'm sure that the strength and endurance to persevere is otherworldly, and it can only come from another source of life, giving them hope and strength. So as I seek to run this race of faith, I'm so thankful and indebted to the stories of the witnesses in Scripture and to family and friends 
who point me to the living God, to his grace, to his work of transformation, to his love, to his goodness, and ultimately to his resurrection. Their witness to the faithfulness of Christ is a key reason why I became and am a follower of Jesus. And many along my journey have encouraged me and equipped me uh, for the work that I currently feel called to do. Discernment and wisdom have often come through uh, trusted mentors and friends. They've helped me to run the race. As verse 1 and 2 puts it, Since we have such a great cloud of witnesses, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. The image of uh, a runner running a race right now, I think, is one we all have in our mind. The Olympics are going on. Absolutely incredible. Who runs for a 400-meter hurdle in 46 seconds? Unreal. Or how about the woman who falls down, gets back up, and ends in first place? Amazing. And watching these athletes uh, compete is just uh, incredible. And it's interesting that it almost always leaves my wife almost in tears every time she watches uh, these athletes race and compete. Uh, and in part, I'm drawn to this because I think our faith journey is like a race. Life is a journey towards an end goal. And we can all resonate with that to some extent. Every single one of us is on a track. But the question is, what race are you running? In saying this, I'm drawn to James K.A. Smith, who talks about how we all need to find a story. Because similar to a race, a story has a trajectory. There's an end to it. There's a sense of movement in a particular direction. He shares that to find ourselves in someone's story, to feel known by the witness of another, is to be known, to find a place, to be given a story that gives us bearings, a sense of identity. He writes further, that to be without a story is to live without any sort of script that might help us know who we are and what we're about. Like a character in a story, an athlete in a race needs to know the direction they're going, what their task is, what the end goal is. And the image of a person running in a race suggests to me that life has a purpose. There is something I'm called to. There's something that you're called to. There's something that each of us is called to. And so the question is, again, what race are you running? Do we know our purpose in running? Do we know what will sustain us as we go? Do we know the finish line? Because unlike in the Olympics, this race isn't about speed. It's a marathon, not a sprint. And as one scholar puts it, the goal of faith is not triumph over another, but serving others and building community, particularly the community that is the body of Christ. Because ultimately, the final goal in this race is Christ himself. He is the one that we are to keep in mind throughout all of life's hardships because Jesus is the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Jesus both began and finished the race that we're running. Jesus has gone before us. In a sense, he is uh, the perfect witness because he testifies to all that God has done and how his promises have been fulfilled. For Jesus, says F.F. F. Bruce, it was sheer faith in God, unsupported by any, by any visible or tangible evidence, that carried him through the taunting, the scourging, the crucifying, 
and the more bitter agony of rejection and desertion. Jesus brought faith to perfection by his endurance on the cross to cover for the sinfulness of our human condition, to cover for our greed, our pride, our hatred, our lust, to cover for all of it. And now the highest place of exaltation is his, and we are invited into divine fellowship with him. And so Jesus comes and runs this perfect race so that each of us can run our race. And not just the race, but we can share in his victory with him. Jesus comes, in other words, so that we can all belong to the same team and be witnesses with him. Jesus comes so that, like him, we can all know where we're headed. What's our final goal? And the finish line is presence with God himself. It's joy in being with God and being fully being fully who we were made to be. Friends, the reason that I became a Christian is because of the witness of Jesus Christ, which flows out into the lives of everyday people like you and me. Christ's story, his birth, miracles, meals, death, and resurrection give me hope. It fuels my belief in God's sovereignty, in, God good, in God's goodness, and in God's love. Jesus has run the race on our behalf, and now he invites us to run our race with our eyes fixed on him. And though I became a Christian a long time ago, uh, the race didn't stop when I became a Christian. In fact, I think it's gotten harder, and I think it gets harder for all of us. And now we're called to persevere and you're called to persevere if you have confessed Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And the need to persevere is one that I continue to feel. Moving from Angola to the States and then from the States to Canada has left me with a deep longing for home. And it has forced me to dive deeper into faith and to realize that we only find home in God. Everything else is but a glimpse, a taste and so I need to keep my eyes fixed on Jesus to persevere in this longing for home. I need to persevere in my faith in the, midst, in the midst of dealing with grief. I'm on a journey of coming to grips with God's sovereignty and love in the midst of tragedies and atrocities. Keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. I need to persevere in my faith, realizing the many mistakes that I've made and continue to make and my ever-present need for grace. And the truth that the only way to persevere in faith is to look at Jesus. It's easy to look at other Christians and to see their successes and faults, but our calling from the Bible is to look at Jesus. As Hebrews 12, 3 says, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Or as Eugene Peterson writes in the message, when you find yourself flagging in your faith, go over that story again and again, item by item. That long litany of hostility he plowed through, that will shoot adrenaline into your souls. In running this race, we need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, for he is the one who will redeem us 
and sustain us. And I believe that our human longing for an identity is bound up with finding a story that helps us to understand who we are, what we're about, and what we should be about. And I believe that story is found in the person of Jesus. Jamie Smith, citing Cardinal Ratzinger, says this, Christianity is not an intellectual system, a collection of dogmas or moralism. Christianity is instead an encounter, a love story. And so becoming and remaining a Christian is not merely about submitting to a certain um, intellectual or religious system. Dare I say, it's not even about a certain type of morality. Rather, it's an encounter and a call to relationship with God. It's a call for each person to follow the one who feeds us, convicts us, and sustains us in our race, and who ultimately promises us resurrection. N.T. Wright says this, I'm captivated by the belief that to speak of Jesus' lordship and of the new creation implies at once that to confess him as Lord and to believe that God raised him from the dead is to allow one's entire life to be reshaped by him. Knowing that though this will be painful from time to time, it will be the way not to a diminished or cramped human existence, but to genuine human life in the present and to complete, glorious, resurrected human life in the future. My prayer for each of you this afternoon and for all you watching online is that you would encounter Jesus and that he would be the goal of your race and that his victory would define the way that you run, the direction that you head, and the joy of knowing that the finish line and the sharing in his glory is close at hand. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we believe that you are the end goal for us. And so let us run this race with our eyes fixed on you. Draw us close to you. Sustain us each and every day. We pray these things in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to the First Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. For more sermons and information about our church's services and programs, please visit firstbc.org.